All right, we're in Lesson 11. Does everybody have a study sheet? Who needs a study sheet? Everybody got a study sheet? Okay, we're in Chapter 7. We're going to look at verses 1 through 10 today. Now, at the end of Chapter 6, he once again referred to Jesus as belonging to the order of the priesthood of Melchizedek. So now he's going to explain what that means, okay? He's going to explain what that means. Now, before we start this study, I'm going to have to point out a couple things to you. Number one, this is one of the passages where people have a couple of different views as to who Melchizedek is in Genesis. Uh, They'll use this passage to refer to Melchizedek in Genesis as the pre-incarnate Christ. What does that mean, George? Okay, pre-incarnate means an appearance of Jesus before the incarnation or before the virgin birth. The incarnation is reference to the virgin birth. So this, so they would assume that when it talks about Melchizedek meeting with Abraham in Genesis, that it is a an appearance of Jesus. Okay, so they'll use this passage. Um, I don't believe that, and I'll show you why from this passage. Okay. Uh, the other thing is, is that you need to recognize is this. He's going to use a literary device or an argument that we do not use today in our modern world. Okay? You have to remember, he's writing an ancient culture 2,000 years ago. So he's going to use a literary device, and I will point that out to you as we go along, uh, because we would look at that and say, well, that's a really weak argument. Okay? But you have to understand, from their standpoint, it was a standard argument to make, okay? So I'm going to point that out to you as we go. So we're going to talk about the uh, order of Melchizedek today, or the priesthood of Melchizedek, and how Jesus fits in that, okay? So let's look at verse 1 to 4, first of all. From this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, first being translated king of righteousness, and then also king of Salem, meaning king of peace, without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor the end of days, but was like, was, but made like the son of God, remains priest continually. Now consider how great this man was, to whom even the patriarch Abraham gave a tenth of his spoils. Okay, so let's take a look here. First thing we're going to see is this. Melchizedek was the king of a city-state, Salem, and the priest of the Most High God. He was a king of a city-state. Now, back then, in their culture, they didn't have necessarily have borders, uh, per se. They had city-states, or major cities that were basically fortresses, which had their own kings. And so, here we have Melchizedek, who is the king of Salem, okay? And he's also a priest of the Most High God. Now... Let me just stop for a moment. You might say, well, were there believers then? Were there people worshiping God then? Yes. Because if you remember, Moses' father-in-law was also a priest of, he was a priest of Midian, but a priest of what? The Most High God. 
Okay, so you're talking about way before the establishment of Israel. There would be, still be people who would be worshiping God. Okay? Now, this is around the same time period that they believe that Job was written. Okay? The book of Job. And if you remember, Job believed in who? God. Okay? And that's what the whole point of the book of Job is, is his interaction with God and the issue of suffering. So, Melchizedek was a king of the city-state Salem and a priest of the Most High God. Now, Melchizedek met Abraham as he was returning from the battle with the four kings. Now, you're going to find that in Genesis chapter 14, verse 18 through 20. If you remember from that passage, remember... Abraham's nephew, Lot, was living near, or at that time probably in Sodom. And these four kings came and basically fought against Sodom and all the other cities of the plain there and defeated them and took everybody captive or as spoil. Okay? Now what they would do back then, you have to understand the ancient culture, is when they defeated a people, they made everybody they defeated slaves. And a lot of times they would just take the people back with them. A lot of times they would just kill all the males, take all the women and children with them. Obviously here in this instance they didn't kill all the males. So Abraham, hearing the news that his nephew had been taken captive, raises up an army and goes and attacks these four kings. And God gives them the victory and he defeats the four kings, releases all of the captives from Sodom, which includes his nephew, and has all the spoils. Now, this king, Melchizedek, comes and meets him as he's returning from the battle. All right, he's returning from the battle. He comes and meets them. And Abraham, of his own free will, gives him a tenth or a tithe of, his, of what he received from the, uh, from the four kings, from the battle booty, from the loot. Okay? And then here's what we see happening, is is that Melchizedek blessed Abraham. He pronounces a blessing on him. All right? Pronounces a blessing on him. And then the text tells us that Abraham gave a tithe or a tenth of all he had captured in the battle. Now, let me just stop for a moment. Let's talk about giving and tithing. You know, I don't usually talk about that very much. I think I think in the 13 years I've been here, I maybe have talked about it three times. Okay, so this will be my fourth. But when I read the scripture, here's what I want you to see. When you look at the Genesis passage, so turn in your, turn in your Bible to Genesis chapter 14. Turn in your, and look at verses 18 through 20. You see the account there of Abraham being met by Melchizedek, Melchizedek blessing him, and then you see how Abraham responds. Okay? How does Abraham respond? Very last part of verse 20. He gave him a tithe. Okay, now what I want you to see is, what you're not going to notice in this passage is, is that Abraham was told to give. What you're going to see here is actually the free will compulsion of Abraham to give. Okay? That's what I think you're going to see throughout the Scripture. That's why we don't teach about it very much. Is that giving 
is a heart issue. Does everybody understand me? If you want to write that down, giving is a heart issue. Giving is a response to what God is doing in your life. Do you understand what I'm saying? Giving is a response to what God is doing in your life. That's why when you go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, you'll see the Apostle Paul say that God loves a what? Cheerful giver. Not one who gives by compulsion. Now what does it mean by to give by compulsion? Anybody know what that means? Yeah, you're nagged to give, or you're, 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 you know, you're being forced to give. So like, I, I spoke at a church, uh, in Myanmar on Sunday evening, and I thought, man, I must have been back in Lynchburg, Virginia. Okay, because they had three offerings in one hour service. No, they had, they, they said, okay, we're gonna have the offering, and so they had this big silver pot. I mean, it was nice. And, and they passed this big pot around 400 people, okay? And I thought, okay, that's that's interesting how they do their offering. And then about 15 minutes later, after some more music, my interpreter says, okay, now they're going to take the offering. Well, what did they just take? So they took another offering and they put it in the same silver pot. And then after the service, the silver pot's at the door to take a third offering. As you're walking out the door, I guess if you haven't given it all, you give it all, all the change in your pocket or something on the way out, you know. And, and and so, if you're faced with that, I remember that when I was going to Liberty, I'd leave my wallet at home when I went to a service, because there would be four or five offerings. You know what I'm saying? When you're faced with that Sunday after Sunday, what do you feel? Some of you have been there. What do you feel when you're faced with that? Yeah, you You feel guilty. You feel like you're, what, compelled to give. And actually, at some point, you begin to get what? You said it, Nancy. What did she say? She said resentful. Okay. Now, all right, listen to me. If that's true, then what do you do with a passage like 1 Corinthians 9, which says that God loves a cheerful giver, and he doesn't want you to give by compulsion. But we exist in churches, no matter what denomination, okay, no matter what denomination, where you are compelled to give. Now, hey, we got needs here. Do you know what I'm saying? I mean, we got needs. We got a function. We got you like the air conditioner? Costs, okay. You know, you like the coffee. Walmart doesn't give that to us free. Do you know what I'm saying? You know, the reality is, is that what I want you to see here is that Abraham, which I think is the testimony of Scripture. He gives in response to what God is doing. Do you understand what I'm saying? He gives in response to what God is doing, and here he's been blessed, so he blesses back. Okay? Now, so let me get back off the side note here. I just wanted to point out to you, because I, I thought this is a good place to just encourage you to understand that the issue of giving is a what? A heart issue. If you didn't write that down, write that down. The issue of giving is what? A heart issue, okay? And it's an issue of giving in response to God, okay? In response to what God is doing in your life, okay? So now, I want you to notice now verse 2 as well tells us, he's going to talk about Melchizedek here. The, The name, the names, 
it should be the name Melchizedek, means king of justice or righteousness. The name Melchizedek means king of justice or righteousness. Now, somebody would say, okay, well, there it is. This is a proof that it's Jesus. No, no, not necessarily. Understand something. The, when they named their children back then, it was often in response to something or a foreshadowing of something. They didn't just name them Bubba because Uncle Joe's father, ten times removed, was named Bubba, so we're going to carry that family tradition on. Did you know, do you know what I'm saying? We do that kind of thing. Okay, we name... You know, we name our children after grandparents or some significant person or another. That's not what they did. They named it based upon a certain event or based upon what they were going to be. So obviously this was somebody in the lineage of a king, and he was given a name, King of Righteousness. Okay? King of Righteousness. Now, another instance of that would be uh, Jabez in Chronicles. His name means pain. How would you like to have a name? You, you, you ever had somebody call you, you're a pain? How about if your name is pain? Okay. How did you get a name like pain? Well, you obviously, something must have happened at childbirth. Maybe it was a painful experience. Maybe there was pain in the home. And he was named pain. Aren't you glad we don't name our kids that way? Okay. Aren't you glad you weren't named that way? Okay. Based upon what was going on in your household at that time. But his name means king of justice or king of righteousness. He is also the king of peace because Salem means peace. Now, some authors speculate that he probably was the king of what we now know as Jerusalem. Okay? Jerusalem. Because when David makes it the city of David, it at that time belonged to the Jesuits, which was a Canaanite people at that time. So it's possible that he's from the same area. Probably not, because when Abraham offers Isaac on Mount Moriah, okay, that's where supposedly the Temple Mount is. It didn't say that it was Jerusalem at that point, okay, or Salem at that point. Whatever, he's the king of Salem, all right? Now, the writer points out, now here's where the argument is an old-fashioned argument from their time that you and I would not adhere to today. He points out that Melchizedek, there's no genealogy or record of his death. There's no genealogy or record of his death. So he's saying that this is a priesthood that lasts forever because we have no record of his death or no record of his birth. All we have is that he just appeared. So there's no record of his death or his birth. You see that. In verse 3. And to the, to the ancient listener or reader, they would say, oh yeah, we don't know where he came from. But that doesn't mean anything. So like for instance, you know, if I showed up here, let's say I'm a visiting preacher or whatever, and I show up here, and you don't know where I came from. You don't know when I was born, and obviously I'm still alive, so I haven't died yet. You know, you wouldn't say, oh, it's a messenger of God, okay, because we don't know where he came from, you know. 
That's the, that was the thinking back then. You and I would look at that now and say, oh, that doesn't make any sense now. Well, you're looking at it from a 21st century perspective. You've got to look at it from their perspective, and this is a line of argument that he's making to show how superior Jesus is over the, the priesthood of Aaron. Okay? To show how superior Jesus is over the priesthood of Aaron. So he's going to point out here that there's no genealogy or record of his death. Melchizedek is a type of Christ in that his priesthood is forever. So I, I'm the one who would say he's, if this is not a pre-incarnate Christ, but rather this is a type. A type is a representative. Do, do you understand what I'm saying? Is He's a type of Christ. He's a foreshadowing. He's a picture. So, for instance, the rock in, Jet, in, in Exodus that Moses strikes, okay, is a type, a picture. Okay? A picture of Christ. Now, so for instance, some scholars would say today that, uh, you know, the scripture says there are many, there's one antichrist and there's many antichrists. A type of antichrist that we have from our history would be who? Anybody know what a type of? Yeah, Hitler. Adolf Hitler is a type of antichrist. Okay? He's not the antichrist, we obviously know that, but he's a type. All right, let's go on. Now, the issue here is a contrast with the priesthood of Aaron, which was dependent upon a genealogy. In order to be a priest of Aaron, to be a high priest in the Mosaic system, you had to show what your genealogy was, what family you came from. You couldn't just be a Levite. You had to be of a certain branch of the Levite family, which was the branch of Aaron. Do do you understand what I'm saying? You had to be from a certain, you had to have a certain dad. Okay? And, 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 And so forth. You had to show your genealogy. Not anybody could just be the priest. Now, I have to point out to you that from... The period of the Maccabeans, up to Jesus' time, that went out the window. So when you read about the high priest in the Gospels, he's not necessarily from the lineage of Aaron. Even up until the point of A.D. 70, because they became political appointees of Rome. Do you understand what I'm saying? And they would be switched up because the priesthood was for a lifetime, you're going to see that that's not true in the Gospels. Okay? Because you're going to see at some point they say there's two high priests. Well, there's one high priest and, and so forth. When the Maccabean period takes over, which the Romans then assumed, they didn't pick them based upon their lineage for Aaron, from Aaron. Okay? So, but what he's doing here is he's wanting to contrast that Jesus' priesthood is not dependent upon genealogy. Okay? It's not dependent upon genealogy. Now, let's take a look here. His greatness. The writer calls the reader to consider the greatness of Melchizedek. The greatness of Melchizedek. Now, how great is he? Well, here's what they want to point out. 
it was Melchizedek that the patriarch gave a gift. Now, to the Jew, there's nobody greater than who? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Moses. Okay? Those are the great ones in the Jewish faith. Well, what, what the writer is doing here is using a device to show us that Melchizedek is even greater because your great patriarch, Abraham, gave a gift to him. Did you understand what I'm saying? He gave a gift to Melchizedek. So he's wanting to show that there is, that Melchizedek is greater than Abraham. Again, in our way of thinking today, you say, well, that doesn't mean anything. People give gifts all the time. But you have to understand, in their line of thinking, it showed a superiority. Because Melchizedek didn't give a gift to Abraham. All he did was just bless him. Okay? So, let's look now at verse 5 to 7, and we're going to see the contrast. Because this is the main point of the passage here. The main point of the passage is to contrast the two priesthoods. So look with me at verse 5. And indeed, those who are of the sons of Levi who receive the priesthood have a commandment to receive tithes from the people according to the law. That is, from their brethren, though they came from the loins of Abraham. But he whose genealogy is not derived from them received tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. Now, beyond all contradiction, the lesser is blessed by the better. Here, mortal men receive tithes, but there he receives them of whom it is all witness that he lives. Even Levi, who receives tithes, paid tithes through Abraham, so to speak, for he is still in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. Okay, so let's look at the contrast. You'll probably say, what in the world was he saying? All right, let's take a look here. The Mosaic law required that the Levites collect a tithe from the children of Israel. All right, let's stop for a moment. Remember I was talking to you about giving? Maybe make another point here. You are not going to see anywhere in the New Testament a command to give a tithe. <gasps> yeah, you're not going to see that anywhere. In the New Testament, it doesn't talk about tithing. The New Testament talks about what? Giving. Okay? It talks about giving. It does not talk about tithing. Tithing is reflective of the Mosaic law. Okay? Tithing is reflective of the Mosaic law. So the Mosaic law requires that Levites collect a tithe from the children of Israel. All right? Now, the Levites received the tithe from the offspring of Abraham. This is the point the author is making here. So they received the tithe from the offspring of Abraham. From the Jews. He goes on then, and the writer points out that Melchizedek was not of the lineage of Levi. He predated Levi. Levi was the great-grandson, great-great-grandson of Abraham. Okay? A great-grandson. All right? So, how is it possible that Melchizedek was of that lineage? He's not. Okay, we already we see that, okay? So he received Abraham's tithe and blessed him. So Melchizedek received Abraham's tithe and blessed him. All right? 
Now, so the writer presents the principle that the greater always blesses the lesser. This is from their ancient culture. That the greater always blesses the lesser. This is the principle that he's presenting here. So the greater is Melchizedek blessing the lesser, which is Abraham. All right? Can I go on? Okay. Therefore, Melchizedek is greater than Abraham. That's the point he's making here. Melchizedek is greater than Abraham. So we're just kind of going through his argument here to talk about the superiority of the priesthood of Jesus. So then, the Levitical priests were mortal men who died. So the priests of Aaron died. They're mortal men, just like you and I. Okay? We're going to die someday. Alright? I know they want us to live forever, but we're not going to. Okay? But the reality is, is we're mortal men who die. They were mortal men who died. But Melchizedek is greater because his death is not recorded, therefore he lives on. So this is an ancient argument. He's still alive. We don't know that he's dead. Okay? Alright? Because he never died. We don't know that he died. To understand that, okay, um, let me help you to understand, because it's from the Mideastern culture and their thinking. It's still true today. So, for instance, there was a seventh imam in, um, in Islam, okay, who uh, they believe is coming back. Because there is no record or proof that he died. Okay? So they believe, to this day, especially the Shia, okay, the Shiites, believe that this imam, this seventh imam, is coming back. Okay? He's coming back to rule the Muslims and to rule the world. Because, why do they believe that? Well, I mean, he lived in 700 A.D., but there's no proof that he died, okay? And therefore, he must still be what? Alive. That is the Mideastern way of thinking. This is the same type of thinking here. Do you understand what I'm saying? Now, you and I know that some dude alive in 700 A.D., if he, even though you don't know that he died, he's probably dead. Does everybody understand that? Okay? Because everybody... Bo- who was living 700 years ago is still dead, unless it's in a movie, okay? All right, we understand that, because that's just a natural way of life. Levi paid tithes to Melchizedek through Abraham. So he's wanting to show us that Levi, even though it was Abraham, it was Abraham and all of his prodigy. Everybody that would come from Abraham Paid a tithe to Melchizedek. That's the line of argument here. So he's saying that Melchizedek is superior to the sons of Aaron because the sons of Aaron paid a tithe to Melchizedek through Abraham. Do you understand? A representative type thing. Okay? So that's what's being said here. So Levi paid tithes to Melchizedek through Abraham, who was the representative head. Now this line of thinking is not uncommon 
to the New Testament because Paul uses the t- same type of argument when he talks about that we're all sinners because who is our representative head? Adam. And when Adam sinned, as the representative head of all humanity, all humanity, therefore, is what? Condemned for its sin. So this line of thinking is very common in the New Testament. Okay? So then, even though he was not yet born, Levi was a direct descendant of Abraham. That's the point he's making here. Okay? All right, now next week, we're going to continue on, again, contrasting the two priesthoods.